Welcome to the INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. The Infusion Nurses Society is recognized as the global authority in infusion therapy and is devoted to setting the standard for infusion care. I'm Dawn Berendt, your podcast host and the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for INS. Welcome to this episode of INS Infusion Room. My guest today is Loretta Dorn. Loretta is the Director of Clinical Liaisons at Fresenius Gabi. Welcome, Loretta. Thank you so much, Don. It's great to be here. Loretta, please tell our listeners about your professional background and the work that you do. Awesome. So um, before I get started on me, as you mentioned, I work for Fresenius Kabi. And just to let everybody know a little bit about Fresenius Kabi, they're a global healthcare company that specializes in life-saving medicines and technologies for infusion, transfusions, and clinical nutrition. <clears throat> and our products and services are used to help care for critically and chronically ill patients in the U.S. We are a leading supplier of generic sterile injectable drugs. I am actually an RN, like many people on this um, on this webcast, um, with my master's in nursing. I've had my CRNI for over 20 years, and I've been a nurse for many more years than that. I'm not going to say how many, but many more years than that. I've worked in med surge and ICU and in home care, um, as well as a staff nurse and a director of nursing for home care. And I led a team of specialty care nurses for the hemophilia and pulmonary arterial hypertension, or PAH, patient population. I also served as a director of nursing in a long-term care facility and the COO of a health department. I've been pretty involved with the INS for many, many years, and I previously served as the Infusion Nurses Society, or INS, Illinois chapter president, and have published several articles related to IV therapy as well. One of the things that I'm really proud of, too, is that I worked with AMI, which is the Association for Advancement of Medical Instrumentation. So the team that wrote and managed the ISO small bore standards, so that's related to the lures that are on all of our both epidural catheters, um, our IV catheters, et cetera. And within that, I also helped create the human factor study um, for the epidural and IV lures. So as I mentioned, or as you mentioned, I currently work for Fresenius Kabi as a director of clinical liaisons. And in this role, I manage a team of nurses and pharmacists that provide training to hospitals and alt care sites to educate nurses and pharmacists on our ready-to-administer syringes, pumps, assist with building the smart pump drug libraries, and implementations, and even more importantly, and something I'm super excited about, I'm also currently chairing a quality and safety education for nurses, patient safety committee, also known as QSIN, um, as an abbreviation. Loretta, thank you so much again for taking the time today to be my guest on the INS Infusion Room podcast. Our topic today is IV push medication administration. And I would like to start our conversation by asking you to tell us why IV push medication administration is particularly risky. So as nurses, we all are giving IV medications every single day and really don't think about necessarily the fact that IV medications have immediate therapeutic effects, right? Which is good for patients, and it's why we do it, right? But because of the direct effect of that administration, 
there's, of course, limitations in reversing these systemic effects after IV administration. And many IV medications, um, as you know, have narrow therapeutic dose ranges, um, which means they can have potential adverse effects if not given in a, in a precise manner or according to the manufacturer. So because of this, the Institute for Safe Medication Practices, ISMP, clearly identifies this issue in the ISMP Safe Practice Guidelines for Adult IV Push Medications. In fact, interestingly enough, um, related to um, some information that nurses believe about IV push, a large 2007 study by the American Nurses Association on injectable medication errors reported that 99% of nurses believe that the risk to patients is serious if errors occur and that almost half of the errors, or 48%, are most likely to happen during preparation and administration of IV medications. ISMP in their document also reported in the guidelines that in a study of pediatric inpatients, IV medications are associated with a 54% of potential adverse drug events. And IV medications were also associated with 56% of preventable adverse events. And in a five-year retrospective review of medication errors in United Kingdom Pediatric Teaching Hospital, 59% of these errors occurred during drug administration by nurses, with dosing and concentration mistakes being the most prevalent. In fact, there are 7 million serious, potentially avoidable medication errors that occur in hospitals and clinics each year. So, Loretta, can you tell us what your organization, Fresenius Kabi, is doing to help nurses achieve best practice? Sure. We've been very involved in trying to reduce some of those errors. In fact, that's one of my main goals in working here because I really have a passion for ensuring that we're following best evidence-based practices for IV therapy. And so the potential for those errors drives Fresenius Kabi when we develop products and we also get clinicians input on their needs as well. And one of our key missions as a company, as I mentioned, is advancing safe medication practices. And we do that by providing ready-to-administer medications. So there's not a lot of manipulation um, for the nurses on the floors. One of the ways that we do this is through our pre-filled uh, syringe business. So we're trying to eliminate drug preparation at the point of care for nurses. In a study by Hertig, ready-to-administer pre-filled syringes use has been associated with fewer drug preparation errors and up to four times lower error rates when nurses use their simplest pre-filled syringes compared to traditional practice. Let's talk for a few minutes about the INS infusion therapy standards of practice and the ISMP guidelines as well. Now, the INS Infusion Therapy Standards of Practice offers guidance in Standard 20 for compounding and preparation of parenteral solutions and medications. There are some practice recommendations, including these statements. Uh, first, administer solutions and medications prepared and dispensed from the pharmacy or as commercially prepared solutions and medications whenever possible. And... Use IV push medications for adults in ready-to-administer form to minimize the need for manipulation outside of the pharmacy, sterile compounding area, and only dilute when recommended by the manufacturer or in accordance with organizational policies, procedures, or practice guidelines. 
Well, in the standards, and and you mentioned also INS's new updated standards clearly outlines, you know, the preference for making sure that the nurses aren't compounding at the bedside. They're using ready-to-administer syringes, if at all possible. Um, But one of the things that ISMP also states is, to the greatest extent possible, provides adult IV push medications in a ready-to-administer form. And it's important, as you mentioned, not to withdraw IV push medications from commercially available cartridge-type syringes into another syringe for administration. As you move a medication from syringe to syringe, obviously there's the potential for contamination. And the other issue is when you're moving it from a vial to a syringe, they also state you should always appropriately label all clinician prepared syringes of IV push medication or solutions, unless it's prepared immediately at the patient's bedside and immediately administered. And even with that, if you're preparing more than one medication at a time, you should always still label so that you're ensure you're giving the right medications to the right patient. And, and so you make sure to label everything. Also, um, only dilute IV push medications when recommended by the manufacturer or supported by your institutional guidelines. I think nurses um, tend to dilute for a lot of reasons, but the ready-to-administer syringes in particular come in a manner that you don't need to dilute. Also, within the standards, they talk about using an appropriate volume of the IV flush afterwards. So sometimes nurses get a little bit nervous about not adding diluent to a syringe, for example, or having to move from a smaller syringe into a 10 milliliter syringe, which they shouldn't have to do because they think they need to have extra volume. But when you flush first to establish patency with that 10 mil syringe, and it says both in the INS guidelines and ISMP that you can use whatever size syringe you need to deliver that medication. And then you flush with the 10 mil syringe afterwards at the same rate, at least for the first CC or two, that you would to deliver that medication. So it's important that you have a flush before and after when you deliver that medication. And so those are the basics of the standards. Obviously, you can read you know, all of the information in the INS guidelines and also, you know, the ISMP guidelines, but that's essentially what the guidelines are saying. Loretta, why do you think nurses are often challenged in applying standards of practice and other recommendations, such as those from the Institute for Safe Medication Practice, often referred to as ISMP? I think there's a lot of reasons that nurses can be challenged in following those evidence-based practices. And for example, we know with the pandemic, although obviously that's more recent, nursing burnout is at its highest level than it's ever been. It's a real concern, and this can lead to human errors with nurses reaching exhaustion and being overworked. All of us are doing what we can to care for patients as safely as we can. When I'm in hospitals, and I do a lot of teaching and training in hospitals, I often ask when I'm training the nurses or when I'm in front of a group of nurses, if they've ever heard of ISMP safe practice guidelines for IV push medications. And based on my experience, it's seldom that I have a nurse that's aware. Nurses get so busy treating patients, there's not always the time to read the latest standards of care. And so often they rely on the institution to create those policies and procedures to help guide practice. And if the institution does not have a policy on IV push, Then the nurses learn through preceptors, by peers, or based on what they were taught in school. And many times organizations uh, 
hospitals don't have specific policy as in how you administer an IV push. Um, and so there's several resources that an institution can go to to get, you know, assistance in creating those policies. We've talked about some of them already. The ISMP guidelines, the Infusion Nurses Society, Infusion Therapy Standards of Care, and um, I'm sure you're aware of the INS newly published policies and procedures for infusion therapy as well. It's places that they can go. But because of the lack of awareness of the guidelines and lack of specific institutional policies and procedures in practice, there appears to be a lack of standardization on how IV push medications are administered. For example, as you mentioned, both ISMP and INS talk about safety and use of pre-filled or ready-to-administer syringes, but not all institutions utilize them. This results in nurses having to prepare medications from vials and so therefore can't follow the standard, which makes it difficult even if they're aware of them. Loretta, you were involved in conducting a survey which was sent to nursing students. Please tell us more about that survey and the things that you learned as a result. Absolutely. So I mentioned earlier that I'm chairing a QSIN team. And one of the first things that we were working on is creating a step-by-step checklist for nursing students and practicing nurses to utilize so the standards could be easily followed and applied. And super interesting in this survey was that we sent the surveys to all different nursing schools, both BSN and associate degree programs across the board. And we had 380 respondents. And what we found across the board was a lack of consistency in how IV push administration was taught, right? What we found was that we had differing practices in how they taught dilution, whether you should or shouldn't, syringe size, what size syringe you should use, use of vials and how they're used, different types of ready-to-administer syringes. Across the board, we had differing techniques, even in you know, how much you should dilute with, how quickly you should give a medication. So it was really amazing the lack of standardization, even in our nursing schools. And so you can see if everybody's being taught differently, that would translate into practice. And then every nurse would be doing something different once they got to the hospital. Now, earlier you mentioned that hospital policies often guide practice. Why do hospitals and preceptors have different processes? for IV push administration. This can certainly affect new-to-practice nurses and student nurses, as well as the existing nursing staff. So as I mentioned, many times nurses learn from their peers. And uh, over time, um, the way that I was taught when I was in a nursing school back a million years ago might be different than what's taught today. And things change over time, as you know. And so if you're not constantly getting that continuing education, keeping up with the latest standards, then you might not know that there's been a change to the process or to a policy or to a standard. And nursing students, while they might have the updated standards when they go into their facility, I've noticed that during the process where they're brought on board, there's not always a skills checklist for IV. In a lot of institutions, there's not like a yearly skills checkoff for IV, IV push medication administration. And many times they leave it up to the preceptor to teach the new grad what the process is. And that preceptor may not have the latest standards either. 
And in another study by Arizona nurses that was done, they showed that less than 24% of hospitals actually have any kind of a policy procedure to guide IV push administration. And while they might tell the nurse what medication to give or the rate to give it at, or when they open their automatic dispensing cabinet, they might have a vial or ready to administer syringe. It's up to the nurse to determine what the dilution process is going to be based on what their previous experience is. I've had institutions which it even gets even more complicated in that you might go into the med, um, into the med room. There might be, and I've been into a facility where they had three different automatic dispensing cabinets. Every single one of them had the same drug in a different presentation. One was in a vial, one was in this, right? And so the nurses can get confused too on you know, which way to administer something based on the fact that they have different presentations of the same drug. So then even when the new nurse gets to the wherever hospital they're working at, the preceptor is going to train them, as I mentioned, however they've always trained in the past. And so even though the new grad might say, well, this is the way that I was taught, typically the preceptor will say, well, no, we don't do that here. And so then the practice changes. And so that's what you see throughout a lot of different organizations. It's the peers, preceptors that are guiding a lot of practice. Now let's talk about the safety associated with ready-to-administer syringes. So when you're using ready-to-administer, you get a couple of things. One is that it comes ready to go, so you're not having to draw it up out of a vial, which potentially means needle stick injuries, plus potential for contamination, plus if you're not labeling right then and there, that becomes an issue as well. And so with ready-to-administer syringes, and I, I actually had one of the nurses I was working with calling it a a grab-and-go syringe. So they didn't have to worry so much about preparing it, figuring out the dilution, figuring out what drosos they were going to give. Also, especially with C2s um, medications, if you're providing the medication or if you're pulling from a vial or another type of syringe that has more than you need, there's always having to waste. And wasting takes a lot of time on the part of the nurse especially now with all of the PPE we're having to use and all the time it's taking, finding another nurse from down the hall to come watch you waste can take a lot of time. So having a C2, for example, and a ready-to-administer in the dose that you need means you're not spending all of that time wasting and having to look for another nurse. I'm going to ask you to address a drug diversion and the potential benefit of ready-to-administer syringe medications. This is a really important topic, I think, for all hospitals. And at the same time that nurses are really spending a lot of time wasting and making sure all of their information is being recorded appropriately, the institution is also spending a lot of time on tracking the wasted narcotics. You know, you're at the end of the shift. What happened to this narcotic or that narcotic and having to reconcile? And so the institutions are spending a lot of time with programs for potential diversion, doing a a lot of auditing to make sure that the C2s are being used appropriately and the wasting is being recorded. And so that's a lot of time being spent in that for hospitals. And so having uh, the dose that you need and a ready-to-administer syringe, as discussed in the standards, is going to help reduce that waste and the potential for diversion. So you're not having to waste half of the vial or have to find somebody to waste it with. Um, You can just take what you need and give it to the patient. 
the, and the cost of diversion is high. There are financially significant costs associated with wasting both the product and the time of nursing. We don't think about it, but how much time does it take during your day when you're wasting medication when you could be taking care of patients? So when a nurse, when, as I mentioned, count bag doesn't match at the end of their shift, then you've got frustration, stress on top of everything the nurse already has to deal with. And so pre-filled syringes really address that diversion by limiting the need for product waste and the related documentation. And so optimizing that product size and taking that special note to match the product availability with the customary practice use. So if your nurses always use, you know, 0.2 or 0.5 of, say, any kind of a narcotic, then why would you give them, you know, five cc's of it? So always making sure the product size matches the need of the institution. And that actually reduces the financial burden on the healthcare systems across the board. I know that many of our listeners would be interested to learn what types of medications are currently available in ready-to-administer form. Could you share some of those with us? So most of the C2s are available in a ready-to-administer form. A lot of narcotics that patients use for pain management in both PACU and then in a med surge, like after surgery, et cetera, those are all available in a lot of the pre-filled syringes. Also, some of your um, anti-nausea drugs like palinocetron and dancitron are also available. Some of the anesthesia drugs are available, drugs like Benadryl. There's a wide range of medications that are available in a pre-filled syringe to use. Loretta, I would like to ask you for your closing thoughts and how you would encourage nurses in the practice of safe IV medication administration. I think it's really important, as you mentioned, that nurses in every practice setting should be aware of the updated evidence-based standards and work to ensure that their institutions, policies, and procedures are based on clinical evidence. Getting involved with your practice committee, getting involved on the committee that creates the the policies and procedures is something that all nurses should do to make sure that we are ensuring that we create standardization across all hospitals. It's really just changing practice for the better starts one nurse at a time And being able to take the information that you learned here back to the institution to mentor others and discuss with management to help institute a facility-wide change is very important as we as nurses are leaders in healthcare and patient safety. And so knowing these standards, even if it's not always widely available or widely known, but taking these standards as an infusion nurse and being able to apply them at your individual institutions is key to creating standardization across the board. Thank you so much, Loretta. You said that so well. I also want to thank you for your work at a national level. This is such an important topic, and I appreciate you being my guest today on the INS Infusion Room podcast. Thank you so much. This concludes this episode of INS Infusion Room, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. We welcome your comments. You can reach us at infusionroom at ins1.org. That's infusionroom at ins1.org. 
Thank you for listening.